As I said, the text for this morning is 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 16. After the sermon, we will sing together from hymn 50 to stanzas 1, 2, and 3. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, the passage we just read together is very familiar to us. We usually read it when new office bearers are under consideration on consideration who, as to who qualifies. It is quite a list. It's a bit daunting, isn't it? When you look at a list like this, who qualifies? Who can live up to these standards? Can anyone? I know that I can't. And yet, those are the qualities necessary for an effective office bearer. That leaves us wondering, whom do we nominate? How do we choose? How does the consistory with the deacons come up with a list of names? Well, indeed, that's not easy. It's a humbling task, for the office bearers all know that they themselves cannot live up to those standards either. And there is not a person in the world that is able to live perfectly up to what God requires. And so it is a good thing that perfection is not required. If that were the case, there would be no office bearers in place. We would have no leadership. I certainly wouldn't be your minister then either. And yet we do have office bearers in place and need to replace those who have served their term. How do we do that? What imperfections do we overlook? How do we decide? Do we now call those who are most popular? Or do we choose those who are buddies? Or those who make the least kind of trouble and who are willing to go along with the flow? Well, that's not the way it should be done in the church. Paul gives very clear instructions as to who should serve and who should not serve. Only those qualify who strive to live up to the standards that God has set. Of course, there are practical considerations as well. But the main thing is that only someone who strives, and from whom it is clear that he does that, to live according to the commandments of God is allowed to serve. That's also what Paul himself did. He said to the Philippians, in chapter 3, verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Paul presses on. And that's what a Christian does. And that's also what a good office bearer does. He strives to have those qualities that enable him to be a good office bearer. And now Paul instructs us as to what those qualities are. So the theme for this morning's sermon is as follows. Paul instructs the church on how to provide good leadership. We will see that a good leader must be someone willing to, in the first place, humbly serve, in the second place, constantly learn. Paul starts off this chapter by saying, here's a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. 
Why does Paul say this? Some think that Paul grants here permission to the men in the, in the church to actively go after the office in the church, that they should actively pursue it. But is that true? For the scriptures actually teach that it should be the other way around. The office should seek the man, not demand the office. That's what we read, for example, in Hebrews 5, verse 4. No one takes this honor upon himself. He must be called by God, just as Aaron was. And so why does Paul encourage men to desire the office? Well, during Paul's day, it was difficult enough to be a Christian, let alone to be an office bearer. These early Christians were persecuted. They suffered many hardships. And when you take upon yourself an official function in the church, such persecution would become even more pronounced, for then you draw even more attention to yourself. It was not easy to be an office bearer in those days, and therefore it was not necessarily an office that the people desired. They saw the great sacrifices that they had to make and also the responsibility that came with it. Thankfully, right now, in Canada, we do not have to worry about persecution. But to be an office bearer does require sacrifice. Many desire the office, but not necessarily the sacrifices that go with it. They seek the honor, but not necessarily the tasks that go along with it. For note well that Paul speaks here about the task of office. The task of the office is a noble one, he says. But it is a noble one only if you do your duty. You must be willing to serve, and you must serve in the way that the Lord Jesus has served, in the way that he showed our example. Indeed, the main message of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ was that he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Lord Jesus Christ himself sacrificed everything he had for the well-being of his flock. And so it is okay to desire the office for the right reason. As a matter of fact, you should aspire to the office, but as long as the aspiration is because you want to serve God's people and not to bring honor on your own name. The Lord God created us to serve, and therefore we should also prepare ourselves for service, service as any, in any way that we can. But ultimately, the Lord, through the congregation, decides who shall serve in the leadership of the church. We do not put ourselves forward. A young man, for example, may study for eight years at university and seminary and make all kinds of financial sacrifices in order to do that. But at the end of those long years of study, he may not even receive a call from a church. Sometimes the Lord has a different task for him in mind. For there are many other ways that we can serve God and his people. Serving as a minister or an elder or a deacon, 
is only one way to do that. There are many others in this congregation who serve, but who are not necessarily in office, and they serve well, and their service is needed. And sometimes, perhaps even more important than the minister himself. But let's look at what the office entails, because that's what we are talking about here this morning. The character of the office is already evident from the words that Paul uses to address the office bearer. Paul uses a word which is translated here in this text as overseer. It is the Greek word episkopos. Elsewhere, as he does in Timothy in his letter to Titus, he uses the word presbyter, which means elder. With the word episkopos, he has the task in mind and with the word elder, he highlights the dignity that is attached to the office. But throughout the New Testament, those two words are used interchangeably. They refer to the same office. There's also another office in the church, of course. In verse 8 and following, he refers to the office of deacon. The first time that we are introduced to that office is in Acts 6. At that time, deacons were chosen in order to assist in the running of the church. A deacon is literally someone who waits at table. He is a servant. He is the one who looks after the material aspects of the ministry. He sees to it that the needy and the poor are taken care of. And all this takes wisdom and insight. Office bearers are frequently presented with difficult situation. Paul speaks from experience. He is familiar with the situation in Ephesus where Timothy is presently ministering. Paul writes to him from Macedonia to warn him, to warn him about some false teachers who have infiltrated the church. He even mentions them by name. He warns him about Hymenaeus, Alexander, and Philetus. These men sought leadership positions for financial gain and for personal honor. And as he says in chapter 6, verse 4 and 5, these false teachers have been very divisive. And that is why Timothy has to appoint faithful men who know how to deal with such false teachers and who do the exact opposite as those false teachers. He gives quite a list of qualifications, but they are far from exhaustive. He mentions these qualities specifically because they are the exact opposite qualities found in those false teachers. But it is understood here that an office bearer must possess, first of all, all the spiritual qualities of a Christian. That stands to reason. An office bearer has to be a believer, someone who puts his trust in the Lord. And he has to be a humble believer. An office bearer has to be aware fully of what a sinful man he himself is. Paul was certainly aware of that for himself. And that is also something that he readily admitted. For he says to Timothy in chapter 1 verse 15 that Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom Paul says... I am the worst. When you know yourself to be a sinner, 
and that you are also very thankful that you have been delivered, and then you are joyful about being saved, and then you want to pass on that joy to others. That is how you serve. That is how Paul serves, how joyful he was to be saved, and how he wanted to pass that on. And in this way, he also gives a very positive flavor to his service. An office bearer has to be a joyful person, joyful in the fact that he himself has been saved from his sins. And when you know yourself to be a sinner, then you do not easily stand in judgment over others either. An office bearer knows that any sin that he finds in others can also be found in him. He may not have committed the same sins, but he certainly has the potential. He is not any better than anyone else, and he had better be aware of that. Someone who thinks that he is so good and wonderful is actually a danger in the church. For then you are arrogant, and then you think that because you are so honorable yourself and so good, that therefore others should listen to you because of your own goodness. Those who think that the honor belongs to the person will also easily abandon their office as soon as the going gets tough or they are personally attacked. How can they attack me? Don't they know who I am? I'm an office bearer. Brothers and sisters, the honor does not belong to the person. The honor belongs to the office. And you have to hold the office high in that regard. When you become an office bearer, then you should find it amazing that you are actually chosen to the office. That such an honorable office is given to you, a sinful person, that God has chosen you to proclaim his word. What a great thing. How is it possible that God can do it through me, a sinner? How wonderful it is that he wants to use me. And that is the way it should be for a minister, an elder, and a deacon. They should stand amazed that God, through the congregation, has called him to the beautiful office in the church. Only when you have that kind of attitude will you be able to listen and to learn. We come to the second point. One of the major points that Paul points out in his list is that an office bearer must be able to manage his own family well and see that his children treat him with proper respect. He mentions that qualification not only with regard to the office of elder, but also with regard to the office of deacon. And so it is a very important point. He repeats it. Why is it so important? Well, as Paul says, if someone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? In verse 15, Paul calls the church God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Brothers and sisters, we are a family together. 
And within a family, you need good leadership. A father who does not take responsibility for his family properly can ruin the members of his family. If he does not feed his family, if he does not set a good example, if he does not show love and care to his family, then the family will fall apart. All the family members will be hurt. The family becomes dysfunctional. For the Lord God appointed the husband and father as head of the family. And the proper head of the family takes responsible for what happens within the family as well. He is an example. He is an example, especially in his spiritual conduct. He is not lax in his church attendance. He is active in church life so that also his children know how important it is that you belong to the church, which is the household of God. And in the household is where you are fed. The headship of the husband is compared in Ephesians 5 to the headship of Christ over the church. And so a father must exercise his headship in accordance with the Lord Jesus Christ himself exercised his headship. How did the Lord Jesus serve? He was gentle and kind. He sacrificed himself totally for the church. He was all about service. Service to God, service to his fellow man, service to those who belong to God. He served in many ways, and he served especially by example. He was compassionate and understanding. He didn't legalistically apply the rules. He was ably, gently to lead others to the truth. Although he was firm, he was not harsh. He was able to teach the truth of God's word and to live it. And those are the very qualities that are needed for elders and deacons in the church as well. Paul says about both the elder and the deacon that they must be the husband of but one wife. What does he mean with that? Some think that he must be a married man, and not just any married man, but one who has never had another wife before in his life. However, Paul cannot mean that, for he says elsewhere that marriage that a marriage is dissolved when a partner dies, and that then the widow or widower is allowed to marry again. Must he be a married man? Well, Paul even says that under certain circumstances, it's better to be single. And so he cannot mean that either. What he means is that a prospective office bearer who is married must be someone who doesn't have another woman on the side or who goes after other women. Someone who is addicted to pornography, for example. A husband must be devoted to his wife. Paul says that he must be above reproach. And with this, he has in mind not only a man's reputation in the church, but also in the world. That is why he mentions in verse 7 that an office bearer must have a good reputation with outsiders. 
If you do not have a good reputation in the community, how can you serve as an office bearer? Someone who is engaged in shady business practices, for example, or who behaves himself badly in public, who is rude and inconsiderate, does not show the kinds of qualities that God requires of an office bearer, or of a Christian for that matter. His reputation must especially be above reproach within the church itself. Someone who is quarrelsome, who has a short fuse, and who often goes against the stream for the sake of being controversial is more of a hindrance than a help. Such a person is not kind and not gentle. People are not well served by him. It may well be that that person has a very good knowledge of scripture and of the confession and also of the church order and that he reads all kinds of stuff and in that sense he can rule well. But if that person lacks understanding and compassion, then he is lacking something very important. And good knowledge doesn't necessarily mean good sense. Knowledge, however, is important for an office bearer. What Paul says about the deacon in verse 9 applies to the elders just as much. He says there, they must keep hold of the deep truth of the faith with a clear conscience. The Lord Jesus taught not only by example, but also with words. And that is why they called him also rabbi, teacher. He taught his disciples from the scriptures. He quoted them and applied them to their everyday lives. And an elder or a deacon must also be able to do that. And therefore he must also prepare himself for the office by making himself familiar with scripture in the way that they're summarized in the confessions. You cannot come with your own opinion to the people whom God has put in your charge. No, you have to come with God's word, which is so immensely rich. And how can you do that if you yourself are not familiar with the scriptures? That doesn't mean that you have to know the scriptures frontwards and backwards and the confessions. But the essential truth of the scriptures should be at your fingertips. You have to understand what the message of salvation is truly all about. And an office bearer should also be knowledgeable about church life. You should know what goes on in the churches by being aware of the various issues that the Federation is dealing with. And there are many ways to be informed about such things through the Acts of Synod, through their website, and through church publications, etc. Paul also says that an office bearer should not be a lover of money. That means he must manage his financial affairs well. He should not be a greedy person whose goal in life is to acquire as many possessions as he can for himself and to store up treasures in this way for himself here on earth. His life must also show that he is concerned that the ministry of the word can be financially sustained. In other words, someone who does not regularly contribute to the budget of the church does not show a love for the church. And that is, first of all, not a financial problem, but it is a spiritual problem. 
And the maintenance of the ministry of the word does not just include the local church, but also mission, mission aid, outreach into the community, and it also means support for the education of not only his own children, but also the children of the church. And Paul says that their wives are to be women worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. Actually, that little word there doesn't belong there. The King James and the NIV, as do most other translations, have added it. The RSV is one of the only translations that has it correct. It says, the women, not their women. Likewise, must be serious, no slanderers, but temperate, faithful in all things. For he is not just necessarily speaking here about the wives of the elders and the deacons. Paul is saying something here about women as a separate class. Paul makes special mention of them here in the midst of speaking about the office of the church. For the women are very important in the life of the church. Although they do not have a specific ruling function in the church, they are an integral part of the communion of saints. For they are often the ones who do a lot of the visiting and taking care of the needy, providing meals, and doing all kinds of things. And they're the ones who make the sacrifice as their husbands are gone from home because of meetings and making home visits. Without the women of the church, this church could not exist. Although their roles are different, their task is just important as the man's. However, for them to be effective, they must be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. Tomorrow night, the council once again has to come up with a list of names for the office of elder and deacon. The office bearers do this with fear and trembling, for it is quite a responsibility. Men must be chosen who qualify in the way that Paul describes. As I said before, you wonder, who qualifies? Do I even qualify? We are so, such sinful men in so many ways. And not everybody has the same gifts. There are those who are better with a pen than others. There are those who are able to read all kinds of material and be more informed than others. And there are also those who are better at comforting members of the congregation. And so there are many gifts. And so there are many strengths and weaknesses as well. But we need one another. As your minister, I certainly need the elders and the deacons. I couldn't do my work without them. And we need qualified men who are willing to serve. And that is why it is a good thing that we have the help of the whole congregation and there's all of you. For we only put those on the list who are nominated by the members of the congregation. And that is why it is very important that you are involved in that process. For the council does not go through the address book and look at each name, and then talk about each person. It only considers those who are nominated. 
And the office bearers themselves do not have a, a special privilege in that regard either. Just like the members of the congregation, if they want a name to be considered, they too have to submit a nomination. No name is put on the list that has not been nominated. It is from that list of nominations that we have in front of us tomorrow night that we vote. And unless absolutely necessary, we do not talk about anyone. We don't go by people's opinions or likes or dislikes. We do our utmost not to be political in the process and to apply the principles given here and elsewhere in Scripture. Again, of course, that's not perfect because we're imperfect men, but that is what we strive. Once the process of coming to dual names for the office of elder and deacon begins, we vote until we have the right number of names. Only those are taken off the nomination list who obviously do not qualify. For example, someone who is under discipline. The congregation may not know about this, but the elders do. Or someone who has not made any financial contributions to the church. It is obvious that such a person should not be on the list. But that, again, is a judgment that a consistory with a deacon ma deacons makes because they have the knowledge about these things and they also have the authority, the God-given authority to do that. That is their task. Brothers and sisters, it's a beautiful task to be called to the office in the church. For that is one way in which you serve the Lord your God. As I said earlier, there are many other ways to serve him. But this is a very important aspect in serving God and his people. It's not an easy task. But it is a rewarding one. Paul says that those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. They gain an excellent standing. With whom? With the Lord their God. That is to whom they are responsible. To serve in the church as office bearer makes you have to deal with spiritual merits and that with spiritual matters. And that in itself is very rewarding. For then you learn about yourself. You learn about your own weaknesses. And you learn how to overcome them. You learn how to discuss difficult things with brothers in the Lord and how to resolve them. You learn how to apply God's word to the lives of those who have been put in your church. It is quite a learning process. And you learn from your weaknesses. And you learn especially how to help others struggling in their faith. Indeed, there is not a more beautiful task in this whole world than being an office bearer in the church. Paul says to, in Romans 10, verse 14 and 15, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? 
As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Oh, sure, an elder and a deacon is not a preacher. But he does come with God's word. He comes with God's word in the homes. He comes with God's word to those who are distressed, to the sick, to the dying. And how beautiful it is to be able to serve with the comfort of God's word, to be reminded of the eternal riches that we have through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Him we serve. Amen.